Okay, then. Ron Wolfley. Ron Wolfley. What is up? <laughs> Witch buster. Extraordinaire. Love that guy. Luke Lipinski. He sounds pretty good. He sounds pretty articulate. Wolf and Luke. 98.7 FM. Arizona's Sports Station. Live from the auction community studios on this Tuesday morning. It is the Wolf and Luke show. A busy show for you today, Wolf. We got to uh, talk a little ASU football with Chris Cartman. We got a few other guests potentially lined up here as well to talk Cardinals and NFL. We got a little D backs talk with the doubleheader against the Dodgers coming up uh, this afternoon and evening. Boy, <laughs> we're not going to start here, but the Buffalo Bills look Oh, man. Just a juggernaut right now. Um, offensively, of course, they look fantastic. And uh, Josh Allen is just one of the greatest individuals on the face of the planet. Everybody up there in Buffalo, New York, they love, they love what this kid is all about and what he stands for. And the great, just great leader that he is. And the way this team is coming together, man, there is a vibe and a buzz up in Buffalo, New York. They I know, haven't had in a long time. I know it's only two weeks of the season. You couldn't look much better through two weeks. We need to start putting the folding tables out there outside of State Farm Stadium for Bills fans to start jumping through because they may be here in February. Yeah, the one thing about it, though, you always have to worry about this is just complacency at any point in time. The leadership in that locker room is really, really strong, so I don't think that's ever going to be an issue. But it is one thing to look forward to when you're that good. Look out. Uh, all right, with the Cardinals, they get that win on Sunday, and one of the things that kept coming up after the game on Sunday, and during our show and the other shows yesterday, was, okay, this is something you can build on, right? You The, the way you win the game, first of all, you were just desperate for a win, and you go out there and you get a win. It had been a while since you had won a game going back to, to last year. You just had that Dallas game, basically, what, you were 1-6 in the last seven, playoff loss as well, so it, it just it wasn't going well. So just to get the win helps, but to win the way they did against a pretty good football team, potentially this is something that could vault you forward. So, Wolf, what I've been wrestling with since the end of the game on Sunday, is this the worst time possible to play the Rams or the best time possible Yo. to play the Rams? Because it's entirely possible you, you started to build some momentum and here come the Rams to just kill it. Or did you need that jolt to be able to beat the Rams potentially on Sunday? Because if you beat the Rams on Sunday... This season looks very, very different. Yeah, you know, can I just answer the question by saying I'm really glad the Cardinals are going to play the Rams at home, even though they have not had a lot of success playing the Rams. I'd prefer it was in LA, but yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely. It is. I know it's the Rams, and it's Sean McVay, and we all know how the Arizona Cardinals have struggled against Sean McVay. Now they did beat the Rams, of course, week number four in LA. That was in LA. That was in LA. Let's play the game in LA. Exactly. So, listen, um, yeah, to answer your question right now, I, I'm glad they're playing the Rams. That's just me. I, it's from my perspective. I'm glad they're playing it because right now they've got a lot of momentum coming out of the second half of what they did in Las Vegas. Listen, it was it was almost like that first half, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday, but it was like that first half was 2021. It was still 2021 for the Arizona Cardinals in that first half of the Vegas game, based on 
on how they played against the Chiefs, of course, and how much they looked like the team that went one and six down the stretch. And then all of a sudden, there you are. You're playing the Chiefs. You look really, really bad. You come out the first half against the Raiders, and oh my goodness, you look the same way for the most part. Your defense can't stop anyone. Offensively, you didn't score a point. What is going on? And you come out in that second half, and it was almost 2022. It's it's funny because you're not really supposed to look exactly the same from the start of one game from the, the, the end of the previous game. You're also not supposed to be able to flip the switch at halftime. We saw the Cardinals in the first quarter in the first half against the Raiders look just like the same team that played the Chiefs the week before. So that defies logic. And then you see him completely flip the switch at halftime. And as as much as Kyler Murray was the catalyst and he was the guy leading the way, it wasn't just Kyler Murray that seemingly flipped the switch. So they've defied logic twice already this season. So maybe it's fitting that they are one and one. Yes. But again, now all of a sudden you got this momentum coming out, a big win, and it definitely jacked everybody up. I mean, coming back on the plane, I can tell you, Basinonians, right now, there was a buzz on that plane. It was undeniable. Um, you, you could just feel it and sense it. it. It felt like, okay, turn the page on 2021. It was literally like that. It was something you, that was tangible. Turning the page on 2021 to 2022. And now all of a sudden you've got the Rams. <laughs> okay, the Rams. And we all know what happened against the Rams, especially in the playoff game. That game alone right there, the way you ended your season, the way you ended 2021, and now it's the Rams in 2022. If, in fact, you did flip that page, here it goes. Could there be a better team you could play than the Rams? Well, this is always the measuring stick, right? It's it's the Rams. And, and, you know, could there be a better team? I wouldn't mind a game against Seattle right now. Let's build another win. I think they would beat Seattle. I think, you know, Carolina, that game that's coming up in a couple weeks. I, no I know they always struggle with Carolina. I wouldn't mind building a little momentum into the Rams game. But, but at the same time, Wolf, because of the way the game ended against the Raiders, that might be such a unique sort of jolt that this might be what they need to beat the Rams because aside from just needing the win, it was just their second win since December 5th. And yeah, a lot of that is off season, but there was a lot of games in there too. They were one in six and two of those losses were to the Rams. And one of them obviously wasn't close at all. So this is ultimately the team you're always going to be measured against with the way that game ended. Maybe it is the right time to play the Rams. Yeah. You know, again, who knows? Um, I don't, I know this is the schedule right here. This is the reality that they face. You're going to have to play the Rams at some point in time. Why not coming off the biggest come from behind victory in the history of the organization? <laughs> Why not do that? And the Diamondbacks just did that a couple, like a month ago, too. That's, that's random to have that twice in the span of a month for two of the franchises in town. No, you're right. You're right. You're right until we go out there and the Rams are just all over them in the first half. But the other thing is, I don't think the Rams have looked all that impressive the first two weeks. No, I, I agree with that. I don't think they have either or either if you're from the East Coast. And I also think, too, that once again, um, this is what you want. You want Goliath right now. You want that. Um, coming off that victory and the way that you played against the Chiefs at home, it's time to draw a line in the sand. Metaphorical though it may be, it's time to draw that line in the sand and do something about your home record and how you play at home. Once again, coming off this 
unbelievable, incredible come-from-behind victory where it was not only the offense, it was the defense as well. You were a team in the second half, a team in the second half of that Vegas game. And because of that, now all of a sudden you can apply all of that to what you're going to see on Sunday against the Rams. I, I, I say this is the perfect time to play this team, your nemesis in the NFC West. Now. The one thing, though, the hesitation I have with this, well, not the at home, I'd rather play them in L.A., but the hesitation I have with this. Yeah, but at some point in time, that's got to end, too, Well, yeah. That's got to end, too. Why not here? Why not now? The thing is, Rams, the the one thing about playing the Rams at home is you don't typically, and I don't want this to change, but it's not like, oh, we're playing the Seahawks, and it feels like 40% of the crowd is Seattle fans, or the 49ers, or even the Chiefs game in week one. I was surprised so many Chiefs fans. We don't typically see that when they play the Rams. Like I said, I don't want to see that change. I know they just won the Super Bowl, so there's probably more Rams fans now than there were seven or eight months ago. Um, no, I like I like the optimism of let's just let's right all the wrongs in one weekend. I would just like to I would like to see them playing a little cleaner overall. This is look, what Cliff look, said. I just want to say this quickly, Luke, because it, you say optimism right there. Um, listen, it, it's it's not like I'm saying the Cardinals are going to win. The Rams are a good team. Ron the Rams are, reporting. Uh, uh, the Rams, they're the one team I never feel confident in the Cardinals. The Rams have an awful lot of talent. It's going to be a game. I, I think it's going to be a great game. Can't wait to see it. I fully expect the Cardinals to show up and ball out. It's going to be a great game. But having said that, there's a real chance they could lose. No doubt about it. This is Cliff but on with us. why not bring it on now? A Cliff on with us yesterday about the biggest thing. If you're going to beat anybody this week, you have to clean up the pre-snap issues. Yeah, we just got to you know practice like like we play, and I think it, it starts there. You, you got to make the, those practice reps uh, as close to game-like as you can as far as coaching and playing, as far as getting the play calls in and operating the line of scrimmage, all those things. And um, we got to be better. There's no doubt that that won't work moving forward and made it a lot harder than it had to be, but I, I think uh, – think we'll learn from it and be better that's my only hesitation and it's a hesitation that doesn't matter because you don't get to pick when you play certain teams that's not the way it works but my only hesitation going into this game is have the cardinals clean that up because if they're taking penalties and calling timeouts after penalties the rams are going to eat them alive you got that right uh all right week three of bix picks is underway so text pick to 620 620 to sign up and compete against dan bickley for your chance at the grand prize 75 inch tv courtesy of corona extra weekly winners are going to receive an nfl jersey of their choice and a $50 gift card to cold beers and cheeseburgers so text pick to 620-620 to enter when we come back how are the Suns approaching their roster training camp's not that far away and it's starting to sound like one of these players is not going to be here that's next it's the Wolf and Luke show on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station Wolf and Luke Middays 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station Closer than people probably think to this first, uh, the start of the Sun season. You realize their game against the Adelaide 36ers, their rivals from Australia. Uh, Wait a minute. The Adelaide 36ers. Yes. Wow. Don't ask me for the significance of their name because I don't 36, know. right. 1936 in Australia. It was a big deal, I guess. I would assume it was for the 36 most deadly snakes they have in Australia. That's yeah, maybe that's what it is. Of Australia. Uh, that's October 2nd. That is a week from this Sunday. That's the Suns' first preseason game. They get the Lakers uh, a week or two weeks, rather, from tomorrow for their uh, first 
preseason game that is against a team from North America. Point is, we're not that far away from the start of this season for the Phoenix Suns. And it does sort of feel like there's some unfinished business with this team on the court. Set aside investigations, set aside talk of Kevin Durant trades. How about the fact that the season starts in not that long and this team won 64 games last year? And then you have Brian Windhorst yesterday on NBA Today saying uh, one of these guys might not be back this season. They are conducting business there in trade negotiations right now. A lot of them are centered around Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder is a player who is available on the market right now. Whether or not there's going to be a deal for him that materializes before now and next week's trade deadline that we'll have to wait and see uh, but Jay Crowder's a guy in the last year of his contract and you know it's possible that they could do a deal that way would bring back more money on and Bobby and folks that I'm talking to they don't get the sense that the Suns are afraid to continue to spend um, that they may be spending more uh, it would not surprise me if the Suns get involved in the negotiations for uh, you know Boyan Bogdanovich mm-hmm. from the Utah Jazz who is available on the market right now several teams are big for him. Good. Keep spending. Well, if the bottom line, after such a weird offseason, a very, very strange end to last season, this team won 64 games last year. Devin Booker is in his prime. Chris Paul, I'm going to assume, still has it. I'm going to set aside that last week of last season. DeAndre Ayton is back. Mikel Bridges is back. Cam Johnson is back. You are an NBA title contender. And as much as it has felt like, oh, you have to add Durant, or, oh, this the ownership stuff and the NBA investigation is going to be a huge distraction, that is all set aside now. And you have an NBA title contender. Yeah. You know what's amazing? Listen to Brian Windhorse right there. It made me think that, man, he's this is a fait accompli. This is something that's already done. This is something that is done. With Jay, Jay Crowder, right? It kind of felt that way. Jay Crowder is, is not going to be a Phoenix Sun coming back. They're going to move him, which... Coupled with the fact that Jay Crowder tweeted out, I forget when it was. It was right around when Marcus Golden sent Actually, his tweet it was, out. Actually, it was August 1st. Yeah, so that was the same day. It was, was August day. 1st right there. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. Or optional. <laughs> I believe it's time for a change. I want to continue growing. Jay Crowder tweeted that out yep. right there. Um you know, that tells me once again, it is. This is something Jay Crowder is not going to be a son going forward. I have no expectation that he's going to play for the Suns at all this year. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's sort of. And that's hard for me to get on top of because I love Jay Crowder. Yeah, I mean, he was a big part of this team. And it's not something I would have expected at the end of last season. Okay, Jay Crowder's on his way out. I mean, we knew that he had the sort of contract that is valuable in the NBA where you trade him to a team that's going to maybe get somebody for this year, but also uh, get an expiring contract as well. Um you know, I want to see what they get back if they ultimately do this before I'm going to say, oh, great move. I, I like having Jay. I like Jay Crowder was part of the attitude of this team. Totally. And he wasn't all of it, but he was a huge part of it. And so if they really are going to move off of him, then you, you definitely have moves, probably plural moves you have to make before the start of the season, which, again, is not that far away. We're talking just a few weeks before the start of the actual regular season. So I'm thinking of Jay Crowder, and the first thing I think of is what a dog he was, watching him compete, the way he'd go about his business, and how physical he was out of the floor. And not only that, too, confrontational. Dare I say confrontational right there. He's also dancing in front of never, LeBron. Never did anything. Yeah, never did anything that was not professional. But if you wanted somebody to talk a little trash and get into somebody's face, Jay Crowder was right there. He was available. Let's put it that way. I love that. JaVale McGee as well. If you talk about yeah. a guy that had a little dog in him That's right the thing. down to parking. Both those guys now in the same all of a sudden off-season. you have. You've lost both these guys. Who's going to replace that? Who's going to bring the dog? I'm 
guessing the one team they don't move Jay Crowder to if they actually move him is New Orleans. I don't think Pelicans fans are real big fans of Jay Crowder, although he is one of those guys that when he gets oh, on your team, totally. you would you would turn pretty quickly. Uh, here's more from Brian Windhorst, though. Also, they are negotiating, from what I've been told, with Cam Johnson yeah. on a contract extension. Now, that wouldn't affect this year's salary. That would be for down the line, but it would also indicate that they are looking to invest uh, long-term in another uh, player and avoid a restricted free agency situation like they had with DeAndre Ayton last year. So from a front from a front office perspective, from the folks that I'm talking to, the Suns are operating like it's like a championship contender looking to improve their team heading into camp. Well, if you could get that done now, that's probably... It's probably the time to do it. A, so you don't have to get into some sort of weird situation where other teams could offer sheet your guy again. That, that was that once is enough. But B, I think you maybe could get Cam Johnson while his stock is still rising. Yeah. Don't you? If you if you if you agreed to a longer term deal with him right now, your hope is that he's going to be still better than what he has shown. So you maybe get him at a little bit of a hometown discount. Oh my goodness! Did he improve last year? Ask yourself that question. Did he improve last year from the year before? Oh my goodness! It wasn't even close. This guy's got the skill set. He does. He he's he's a much better athlete. I've talked about this many many times than most people actually gave him credit for coming out of college. He's much better. He's proven that defensively he's gotten a lot better oh, and yeah. I don't know who played this or why they played it, but it is it's kind your of cool. Fault. It's the Cam Johnson song. It's the Cam Johnson you tap song. This- as Cam Johnson's song. <laughs> that was a long time ago, was it, it was not? Last season, it wasn't that long. It, well, it was still. <laughs> it was after your Michael Porter Jr. hit. That it you was on iTunes and Spotify. And it was because Cam Johnson was growing. This music makes you feel like Cam Johnson. This is it right here. What are you becoming, Cam? No, this music makes me want to push basketball season um, back three more weeks. You know what, Cam? Seriously, hopefully right now you don't have a robe on and you don't happen to be anywhere near a mirror. Yet at the same time, what are you developing into, Cam Johnson? What are you becoming? What are you growing into? That's the question we ask right now, but... Um, <laughs> never watching this movie, that. just so you know. Oh never. my goodness, Not I ever love once. that. That was so good right there. I was like, what is that? Oh yeah, now we know what that is. Totally distraction. Um, Are okay. you over the end of last season? Because as we're talking no. about the Suns, and now it's kind of like, okay, now we have a better grasp of what this team's going to look like, and the NBA investigation's over, and there's not a Kevin Durant rumor until January at least. We kind of have an idea of what this team's going to look like. Now I find myself, Wolf, being not over May 15th and the, the few days leading up to May 15th. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not over it either. Um, I totally feel that. But Cam Johnson, once again, I, I love this. If, in fact, you're going to lock him up and Vinny better start getting used to uh, introducing Cam Johnson as your starter and add forward, however he does it, right? Uh, Cam Johnson! That's, he's actually out in the newsroom doing um, that right now. Yeah, he better, he better get that going because... Because, yeah, it's not going to be Jay Crowder. It's going to be Cam Johnson. If you are one of those people that cannot wait for the start of basketball season, we are four weeks and one day away from Suns Mavericks at Footprint Center on October 19th. That's, That's real basketball fantastic, right there. Man. Yeah.
That really is, seriously. Cannot wait for that. But Jay Crowder, again, brought so much dog. This is something that I think they're going to have to address. Maybe they feel like uh, he was too much of an influence. That's a possibility. Maybe maybe he was one of these guys that was difficult to work with. Look at Jay Crowder and how many different teams he's been on over the last five years. It'll blow your mind. He's moved around an awful lot. The question is, why is that? Maybe he's got too much dog, if you know what I mean. Well, and if you're going to make a move, got to do it pretty soon. I mean, that's that's the whole point of me continuing to give you the timeline. I'm, I'm still, it still pains me to say the word timeline when talking about the Suns. But giving you the timeline here before the start of the season, because, Wolf, you got to be at full strength when you play the Adelaide 36ers. Apparently their name comes from something that happened in December of 1836. Oh, 18. 18. Okay, I thought maybe 1936, no, but okay. Something about South Australia in 1836. So I'm glad we got that cleared up. Text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. When we come back, what should ASU be looking for when they hire their next coach? We're going to ask the publisher for Sun Devil Source. Chris Cartman joins us next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. All right, ASU's got a game against Utah this weekend. Really hasn't been the uh, focus of the uh, the conversation this week, nor will it be now, as we talk to Chris Cartman of SunDevilSource.com. Uh, Chris, thank you for the time. I was just telling Wolf, this is going to be one of those interviews where I have like 900 questions I still can't get to with you in the time that we have. But uh, I'm going to start with this one. When you look at this whole situation, the last five years, and what went down this weekend, where in your mind did things ultimately go bad for Herm Edwards and, and that whole experiment at ASU? I think it was a cumulative effect. Um, I, it's funny, I asked Ray Anderson at the press conference um, how much that the coaching departures and all the other changes uh, impacted uh, this program. And his answer was like, that happened a long time ago. That has nothing to do with it. And I'm thinking to myself, that's just entirely inaccurate. Um, the reality is, is that uh, the program was on a good trajectory until the NCAA investigation news broke about 15, 16 months ago. And then since then, it's been steadily impacted by additional things that have happened as a result of that. Uh, the, the coaching suspensions hurt the team last year in the 8-5 season that I think should have been better than it, than it was. Uh, it was a ripe opportunity then. That season ends, and you have Antonio Pierce and Zach Hill uh, leave. Uh, really, that that was a result of kind of their involvement in what happened uh, with some of the recruiting infractions that are being investigated, and um, the recruiting has fallen off a cliff in that in that period of time. They haven't had one single four star addition from the high school junior college ranks. They, they the roster was severely depleted by the transfer portal. So they, they weren't able to retain people, and partly that was due to their coaching losses, as well as um, concerns about their ability to be successful moving forward. So um, there was this this building that I think, uh, and I talked to you guys about this, I'm sure, quite a bit in the past, but it was inevitable in my, in my mind that Herm Edwards wasn't going to be the coach by the, by the end of this year. I just didn't really expect it to happen this soon and certainly didn't expect them to get embarrassed at home by Eastern Michigan, which is you know like the fifth best Division One school in the state. Yeah, you know, it just, um, can you build a case for why now? Why now, Chris? Why now did they fire him, and why not just wait till the end of the year? 
Well, I think maybe just to get ahead of the queue, uh, there's, there's always a lot of coaching changes that happen in college football. Um, if you do it now, you have more time to figure out where you need to go moving forward to vet candidates, maybe even to make a hire uh, ahead of other people, especially if it's somebody who isn't currently coaching at a high level in college or the NFL. I don't know if that's going to be the case or not, but um, and just maybe kind of hit a reset and figure out kind of who you are and what you should be doing and why. And Ray Anderson alluded to the possibility of maybe doing things differently this time around, because I think what's happened in the past is Michael Crow has wanted to hire someone that has a strong name ID. It's been, you know, these coaches that are kind of walking into the twilight of their careers in the case of Herm Edwards or Dennis Erickson, um, where they, they, they underpay and they, they, they kind of cross their fingers and hope it's going to work out. But, but a lot of the things that you need to, in order to be successful are not present in those coaches and those staffs. And Todd Graham was the total opposite end of the spectrum. He was an iron-fisted authoritarian person who had some early success, but then he wore everybody out and he didn't have enough uh, big-picture capability and an ability to relate to players, and uh, and he was a micromanager. And so you, you need to identify exactly what it is that you're looking for and why and how you can be successful. And I don't know if I really – perhaps not Bray Anderson or Michael Crow uh, being able to understand what they need to be able to do to be successful in those areas. But I've tried to lay it, lay it out from my perspective, what I think is important and why based upon what has gone wrong for ASU over this last quarter century. Talking to Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source. Uh, Chris, we heard Sean Iguano speak yesterday and, you know, a lot of people around the state have a lot of good things to say about him and he's very tied to this state and he was very emotional about being a uh, given this responsibility, is there any chance that he is the guy when this season's up? Does he have a shot here over the next you know, nine, ten weeks to, to prove himself, or is he just simply holding the, uh, the, the seat for somebody else? Well, I've known Sean since he was an assistant coach at Chandler High School. So I've seen this guy come up through the ranks of the local football establishment. And so I'm never going to rule him out. Uh, he's a phenomenal person. The press conference, he was very genuinely emotional. I, I thought it, I thought he killed it in that press conference. But he's facing a monumentally difficult task uh, for all the reasons I've already said and others, including the fact that ASU placed three ranked opponents in a row coming up, and they're not ready to – to, to do that. I mean, it's clear. So this is a program that hasn't gone one in five since 1942 and pretty rarely has gone two and four to start the season. And those are the two most likely records when you look at the, the realm of possibilities for this program. Now, there have been some surprising developments in the past. We've seen Ray's who's had bad losses and rebounded with big wins against ranked opponents, including at home. Remember Washington um, some years ago that happened. But uh, should that be expected against such a well-coached and prepared team like a Utah, given everything that's gone on? Uh, I would say no. I was at practice this morning, Sean Wano's first practice. A very different energy, uh, extremely uh, aggressive in terms of like the pacing of practice. Guys were running around a lot more than we've seen uh, in season. They were playing music. It, it was a more of a uh, vocal, boisterous sort of an atmosphere. We'll see if they if they can transition that to the field because we know they're not going to be able to change their schemes uh, significantly, and the play callers are still going to be the same. So I don't know that an energy infusion is going to be enough. But Sean Aguilar is not somebody that I'm going to just automatically count out. So were you surprised Ray Anderson wasn't fired as well? Or what is Ray Anderson's status in your opinion? 
you know, I'm really trying to figure that out too. And I think it's a great question. Um, it, clearly he knew that he was tethered to Herm Edwards. That was his biggest decision. And he's trying to frame it like ASU is in a better place than five years ago, which I think is objectively false. Um, like in, in, in any measurement, especially when you factor in what's currently going on with the, the, the talent in the program and recruiting and NCAA investigation and changes that they're facing, they're in a worse situation than they were five years ago. But he, he can't say that because then it's like him acknowledging that he was wrong. And also, I think it's, um, I reported six months ago that Herm Edwards was personally involved in the, the recruiting uh, during the COVID that they weren't allowed to do, both on and off campus, including meeting with recruits uh, when he knew they weren't, that he wasn't supposed to. Um, so they, they had the ability to fire Herm Edwards with cause. Um, instead, now, based upon the language that's being said of this parting of ways and Ray Anderson saying that he's not being fired, there's an opportunity maybe for Herm Edwards to collect all or most of this $8 million that he's due in his contract through 2024 at a time when ASU financially uh, is in a bad situation. They, they really can't afford that, nor should they have to do that, given the fact that other coaches were fired for cause who worked for Edwards when Edwards knew what, what, they, what everybody was doing. So uh, that, to me, everybody has said, like a lot of people have speculated or they've, 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 they've accused uh, Ray Anderson of nepotism because that's his good friend and his former client. And I try to give him the benefit of the doubt, but if, if, if this is going to be the result of that, uh, I think there needs a lot more sort of investigating that I'm going to be doing into kind of all of these details. Chris, always great to talk to you, man. You always have all the answers or as many as you could humanly have around this program right now. So we appreciate the time. My pleasure. Anytime. Thanks a lot. That's Chris Cartman of Sun Devil Source joining us right there on the Arizona Sports Line. Like I said, Wolf, I had about 50 more questions I wanted to ask. I was going to say, we'll have to have him back on and talk about some of the people that are out there and who he thinks might be sitting in the catbird seat. It's funny. Deion Sanders' name keeps coming up, and I don't know why. I just don't even see that as a remote possibility, but more and more people keep saying it. Uh, when we come back, a wild week two around the National Football League wrapped up. We're going to take you through all of it next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. All right, Wolf, a lot to get to around the NFL week two, so let's go around rapid fire style. I'm going to let you pick where we start, except no, I'm not, because I want to start with Jets Browns, so let's start with that game. <laughs> uh, did you see how this game ended? Everybody out there, the Browns, and I, I don't know. I don't know if, if it's just me that's this way, but I find it really hard to find sorry, or feel sorry at all for the uh, the Browns this season with everything that they did in the offseason. Yes. I mean, if somebody's got to lose. I wasn't heartbroken that it was them on Sunday, but the way it happened, Nick Chubb, who had a great game, could have just taken a knee at the goal line. It would have been over. They could have hit their extra point. They would have at least gone to overtime. They could have not let Joe Flacco just pick them apart in the last minute and a half and lose to the Jets by one point. I, I love seeing that. I really did. Joe Flacco, of course, has been around for a long, long time. And to see him go out there and play as well as he did, bringing this team from behind uh, and winning the game 31-30, to me, that was really, really 
cool to see him turn back the clock. It was it was crazy because around the league, if you're just an NFL fan, yes, the Cardinals' comeback was wild, but it was really just one of three wild comebacks. Uh, the Jets-Browns one was obviously one of them. <laughs> the Dolphins and the Ravens. Miami was down... With 12-12 left, or about a little, let's say like 12 and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter, they were down 35-14 to 14 in Baltimore, and they came back and won that game in regulation, 42-38. to 38. Tua had six touchdown passes. Where did that come from? Yeah, you know, they totally changed their offense as well. They said, you know what, we're not going to run it here. We're going to sit here and throw it. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. We're going to sit here, and we're going we're gonna to have Tua, and we're going to count on Tua to actually bring us back. This, I think, is a still point moment for Tua. A tongue by law. Uh, I think this this game right here gives the Miami Dolphins confidence. And when I say that, I'm talking about his teammates that he can be the guy and he can get the job done. It's so much easier when you've got a guy like Tyreek Hill who can just run by people as well. Yeah, he's ridiculous. There was we were just talking during the break. There was one of those plays where it was just okay, Tyreek, you run straight. Tua's going to actually slightly underthrow you. After like 15 yards, he already had about eight yards separation on both defensive backs that were around him. We've we've talked about this in the past, Wolf. Pretty much everybody in the NFL at a skill position is fast. Tyreek Hill makes the fastest NFL players look like us. Like he just makes the, it's unbelievable how quickly he gets separation from everybody. What's amazing if you put Tyreek Hill on a clock, he's probably going to run some four two eight somewhere in there four two seven four two eight. Doesn't look like it. Um, I think he's he's running faster than that on the field. There are guys that have clock speed, and there are guys that have game speed, and then there are guys who have both. And I I would say Tyreek Hill has both, but I think he actually runs even faster. When he's in a game, that was so. That was Jerry Rice, right? Jerry Rice. He, he wasn't very. He Jerry wasn't, Rice. You know, relatively fast by football, by NFL standards, until he got in a game, and then you couldn't catch him. Tyree Kill seems to be one of the fastest guys in the league, and then he gets faster when the game starts. He came out of Missis, uh, Mississippi Valley State running a four six five. Jerry Rice. Okay, so you know. when the ball was in the air, are you kidding me? It was. He was running a four four. He ran as fast as he had to to catch it. I told you at the start of the season, Miami was a team I was kind of keeping an eye on because I, I thought they might be good, but I didn't know what to expect. Boy, he makes he makes all the difference in the world. All right, what other games do you want to go to? Those are the two I felt like we had to hit. Oh, that's fine, man. Um, what do you say we talk a little bit about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers since the Arizona Cardinals at some point in time are going to play them and the Saints. Um, the Saints, of course. Look, everybody, <laughs> you got Jameis Winston out there, and they think Jameis Winston's going to roll. Um, talk to me about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and play a little sound if you got it. Uh, I got a little Brady here. You've heard of Tom Brady, I think. Everybody knows Tom Brady. He had an eventful offseason as well. We didn't score any points in the first half. That's that's exhausting. It's not going to be good enough to beat anybody. So I think the sense of urgency is very important. Um, and at the same time, remaining poised is really important too, which I didn't do a very good job of that yesterday. And I've got to be really mindful of that going forward getting my emotions in a good place so it allows me to be the best player I can be I think there's an importance where you can become too overly emotional which I definitely think I was yesterday and I've got to 
find a better place to be at so I can be a better place for my teammates. Hey, that spike that iPad on the side. That just that? honestly, uh, it befuddles me. It really does. That Tom Brady at this point of it. How old is Tom Brady? Seventy-eight. No, he's forty-five. Oh. All right, he's forty-five, he and here's Tom Brady talking about he was too emotional. He was pretty emotional on the sidelines. Yeah, but he's done that before. I've seen him do it before. We all have seen him do it before. I just, the the fact that here he is at 45, what's going on with Tom Brady? It's something, something is clearly off, and yet at the same time, Wolf, even though he was spiked that, he looked like he had gotten one of those emails from like a company to order something, they just keep sending you junk mail for a year, even when you unsubscribe. That was his reaction, like he just got another one of those emails, but the thing is, if you look around the NFC, as shaky as Tampa Bay is, or is kind of just, I don't know, not not that exciting, they might very well come out of the NFC again this year, even if they're flawed, because the NFC is pretty flawed. Yeah, no, I, I do. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're still a very, very physical team, and that is the kind of team that Tom Brady has got to be in. He's got to be in an offense that is going, going to attack the line of scrimmage and then use that play action of Brady, who he does and has always been the best play action quarterback in the history of the National Football League. His mechanics are off the chart. To me, this is the offense he's got to be in, and we'll see where it develops and how it evolves from here, but Tom Brady, Tom Brady, something's going on with Tom Brady, man. First time he has beaten the Saints as a member of the Buccaneers. He was 0-4 before that. Uh, Wolf, Jaguars, Colts. Can I say something that I never thought I'd say on the air? I kind of think Jacksonville might be decent. I don't know how much you probably didn't get to see a whole lot of that game because it was leading right into the uh, the call of the Cardinals game. They are using Christian Kirk like they paid Christian Kirk as much as they did, and that division everybody's just kind of the same. The Colts have been miserable. Tennessee hasn't been good. Um, what are you really that enamored with Houston? Like I could absolutely see Jacksonville winning that division because Trevor Lawrence was supposed to be a generational talent, and his first year was only last year, and half of it was wasted by Urban Meyer. I could a hundred percent see Jacksonville being sneaky decent. Okay, um, I'm with you on that, okay. but it really was not the Jacksonville no, Jaguars that had not, my attention. It, it was the Indianapolis Colts. You've got to be kidding me. This, I thought the Colts were going to be really, really good with the defense that they had, of course, and with the fact they can run the ball as well as anybody in the National Football League, and Matt Ryan was going to be your quarterback. Matt Ryan was going to be in that offense right there. I I thought the Colts were going to be excellent in And that has not been the case through their first two games right now, and it's a butt-scratcher. As Frank Reich, after the game, you would have thought the Colts would have figured Jacksonville out since Jacksonville ended their season last year. It was not a good effort out there today. and it was not good. You know, we'll go back and look at the film, evaluate it play by play, evaluate the schemes. We'll evaluate the schemes. We'll evaluate everything. Evaluate play, schemes, everything, top to bottom. That was surprising. That you was, have to. I, I, I keep thinking the Colts are going to be better than they are, and they really have not been anything uh, since about since right around when Hard Knocks started last year, actually, in season. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, Packers beat the Bears 27-10. Nobody is surprised that the Packers beat the Bears, including Aaron Rodgers, who was not surprised the Packers beat the Bears. You know, I'm not up here surprised about what happened. Felt like we had a good week of practice, and if we just played our game, that this was the type of outcome that, that could happen. But I'm disappointed in the second half. Uh, I 
you know, screwed up the action on that uh, fumble with AJ, and then Josh, you know, had to brain fart and snapped it on one instead of two, and that kind of killed the momentum. I don't feel like we had many bad drives all game. Not sure if we had a uh, one three and out, maybe it seemed like. Yeah, and then I feel like we moved the ball really well. I feel like he's never afraid to troll Bears fans. Yeah, um, you know, once again, too, it's interesting because we can talk about Aaron Rodgers and. And at the same time, I thought it was the Packers' ability to run the ball, especially with A.J. Dillon, of course, and Aaron Jones, those two guys right there. That is the strength of this Packers' offense, and they need to exploit it even more. The Bears really had no answer for these two guys, and rightfully so, because I think it's the best running back tandem in the league. Real quick, this is Justin Fields after the game, because this angered a lot of Bears fans. I mean... It, it hurts more in the locker room than the Bears fans. I mean, because at the end of the day, they're not putting in any work. Um, I see the guys in the locker room every day. I see how much work they put in. Yeah, it didn't go over well with the Chicago fan base. I can only imagine. So that's uh, something to monitor there as well. All right, when we come back, what if James Conner can't play on Sunday? He hasn't been ruled out or anything, but what if he can't? How confident are you that Daryl Williams and Eno Benjamin could handle the load? We'll get into that next. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.